some of you guys know that my wife is pregnant with our third child, and uh, that's, yeah, thank you, um, that's, that's happening in like nine or ten weeks, so we're, we're quickly preparing for all the things that are going to happen with um, being outnumbered in our house, uh, which is, it's always interesting when you go from a man-to-man to a zone defense, um, <clears throat> which, anyway, you guys missed that one, you'll get it on the way home, uh, but one of the things that we did to... Um, to prepare is we actually sold our car and then we bought a minivan, which was kind of a big thing uh, for us. So uh, we, we bought this minivan and I, I gave it to my wife. She, had, she didn't know she was going to get it. And so I just, you know, I bought it for her and she was totally excited and it has all these crazy features of what it does and all that. And um, But uh, Wednesday I went, I was speaking at another church on Wednesday night. And um, so Carrie... Uh, went in the evening, normally she doesn't go in the evening, but she went in the evening to Publix to pick up some stuff, and when she came out, um, there was this huge smash on the side of her, of this brand new minivan that we just got, and um, she comes out, and it's like, you know, the car is kind of a silverish, grayish color, and there's a smash with all this white paint on it, so apparently somebody with driving a white car, or had a can of paint in their hand, uh, you know, smashed into this Car, into our car and um, and then just left and um, so Carrie walks out with the two kids and sees this and just starts screaming and crying that someone could could have done this and you know what happens when when two kids see their mom screaming and crying they start screaming and crying so that's what happens they she they start screaming and crying too and then Carrie saying Mia, your father is going to kill me now you got to understand something about Mia she takes everything very literally. So Mia's like, Mommy, is Bobby really going to kill you? Well, well, no, he's not, but he's really going to be upset because he, got, he worked so hard to get us this brand new car, and now it's ruined and, and the whole thing. And, and, um, and, and so now she's hysterical to the point where now people that work at Publix are coming out to see if there's something wrong because she's so upset, and there's people coming over and people that work there seeing if she's okay. And then this woman that uh, carries some of this, Someone with red hair comes over and puts her arm around Carrie. She has never seen her, seen her in her life. She comes over and puts her arm around Carrie to try to calm Carrie down. And she says, sweetie, this is my car. Um, and uh, now, because Carrie's like, this the button doesn't work. And, you know, and the car's smashed. And, and she says, sweetie, this is my car. Because if you look behind you, we have the same model car. And the trunk is opening and closing um, as all this as all of this is going on, right? And, um, and, and, and so now she re- Carrie realizes this, and she says to and now this is the weirdest thing, but she goes, Carrie says to her, can I give you a hug? And so she starts hugging this woman that she's never met who owns this smashed-up car in the middle of Publix, and she says, can I just give you a hug because I'm so sorry that this is your car, but I'm so happy that it's not mine. <laughs> And um, now, honest, seriously, my only regret is it's not on video, because uh, I just really, I really would have loved to have seen that. Uh, now, here, here's the, the point of, of, of this, for me to tell you that, is that it's easier to lose your focus than you think. You see, sometimes we, we're, we think we're focused on the right thing, something happens, it distracts us, and now, and now it's gone. And now we're kind of marching towards the wrong thing. And listen, that's the power of distraction. Most people don't give up on their dreams wholesale and just walk away. Instead, what usually happens is they get 
sidetracked, they get distracted, and the vision just somehow begins to fade away. You see, we live in this country that is the land of opportunity, but if I can, we can be real honest, we can all agree that many times all of the opportunities, all that, that, that come our way can cloud what God ultimately wants us to do. I mean, you, you see it happen, right? This happens to everybody. Maybe you're a college student and you sit down at your computer and you're going to write the paper that's going to get you the grades so you can get the job so you can do the thing and build the life that God has for you. But it's, so you sit down and then you get a notification. Someone just posted on your Facebook wall. I'm like, well, maybe I'll just check the one thing before I begin writing the paper. So then you check it. And then you, you read it. And then, of course, you read it. And then you've got to respond to them. And so you respond to them. And then as you respond to them, you see the feed coming of all the different things that people are posting. Well, that looks interesting. So then you click on that. And then after you've clicked on that, uh, next thing you know, like two hours have gone by because you've got all this stuff you've done. And then someone that you're friends with has invited you to join something called Farmville. Um, you know, for the 20th time. And so you never wrote the paper, but now you become a farm owner in Farmville. And so you're feeding chickens and doing all this stuff. Now, here's the thing. If I can just tell you something, no one that loves you will ever invite you to farm, Farmville. Because you know what? My uncle um, used to have a farm. And, uh, and I've been on a farm. And you know what? You're only, the only thing you're thinking of when you have a farm is how do I get off of this farm? Right? That's because we went to an urban culture, not to an agrarian culture. We're trying to get away from all the animals, not run towards them. Okay? So now, here's, and you want to write that down. And uh, so, now listen, this happens, right? It happens, you know, if you're a student, it happens if you're a career person and you're at work. You get into the office early and you say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get the stuff done because I'm going to build this life that I'm, that I'm trying to do. And, and here, so you get there early and then someone sends you an email. Hey, watch this YouTube video. It was hilarious. It was really important. It's only nine minutes long. I love how people write that. Like, watch this video that's only nine minutes long. Um, and so, so you'll click on it. And so instead of, like, doing the work that's going to maybe make you a little more money and to kind of build the life that you want to live, you end up watching this video. And then you watch the video, and then there's, like, all the suggested videos. I don't know about you, but every time I watch a video, the suggested videos are always much more interesting than the one that I'm watching. So it's like you say, well, I'm going to watch this, and then what ends up happening is you start watching the other one, and then another thing, and so instead of like doing the thing that's pushing the ball up the field to accomplish the vision that God has for you, here's what we're doing. We're sitting in front of our computer watching uh, some video about a cat that knows how to juggle, and, and, and say, like, well, what, what exactly happened? And listen, none of this stuff is actually evil or sinister or sinful. It's just what happens when we aren't focused on what God ultimately wants us to do. Now, here's what we're going to see in Nehemiah's story. In Nehemiah's story, we're going to see a vision fulfilled, right? That the vision doesn't become reality without focus. And Nehemiah is just going to be so incredibly focused on what God has him that he's going to say no to all these other things that some of us, if we're honest, we might say, well, maybe I would have done that. But Nehemiah just keeps saying, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. For the purpose of fulfilling the vision that God has for him. So that he can then do the thing that God has put in his heart to do and see it become a reality. So I want to invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 6, which is where we're going to begin. So we're going to look there and talk about how do we keep our vision in focus to, to accomplish the thing that God has for us. And look at what happens in verse 1. It says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah... Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem said to me, saying, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. 
but they thought to do me harm. And so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. And why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. And then Samballot uh, sent uh, his servant to me before, uh, as before, the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it, it was, in it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall, that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now, these matters are reported to the, will be reported to the king, so come therefore and let us consult together. Then I said to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not get done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen our hands. If you pause there and give me your attention. Here's the first thing. If you want to keep your vision, the vision God's given to you in, in focus, here's number one. It's remember the importance of the work. Remember the importance of the work. Listen, this, Nehemiah is almost done rebuilding the wall. And the enemies of Nehemiah have found that their strategies to get him to stop building haven't worked. They have tried to discourage him, threaten him, slander him, and since none of it has worked, now what they're trying to do is distract him from the work. And that's why I love the response that he gives every time they say, well, hey, why don't you come over and we're going to talk. And it's like, you know, four or five times they're trying to tell him, let's go, let's come to the plain of Ono and, and, and let's come hang out and talk and figure all this out. And he just says the same line over and over. He says, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Listen, God gave Nehemiah a vision that, and it was too great to waste precious time on other things. And listen, my friends, the same thing is true for us as well. If we don't value the work that God has called us to, no one else will. If we don't prioritize what's most important in our lives, no one else is going to do it for us. And listen, um, if we think about all the things that are most important, and we were to make a list of all the things that are most important to us, you know what we'll find? is that... If we, and you know, like every January 1st, we make a list of a bunch of things that we want to change. And essentially what we're trying to do is, I want to reprioritize and put what's most important at the top. And hopefully all these other things will kind of make their way to the bottom. And, and, and here's what happens many times, is that, you know, by the time, you know, like the end of January comes, most of that has all gone out the window anyway. Um, but here's the thing. It's never because we say, you know, that thing that I put as one, two, and three as most important in my life, eh, I just said forget it. It's never that. It's never because we made a conscious decision not to pursue it. It's because somehow we allowed other things to get in the way of that happening. And, and, and listen, and it's so easy for that to happen. Because many times it's not that we're actually making an even trade. To say, well, I'm trading what's most important for this thing that doesn't really matter that much. Instead, it's something much more subtle than that. 
When my daughter Mia was born, it was one of the most important moments of my life. Um, we had, many of you know the story that my wife and I had waited 10 years to have our, our first child. And so this was like the child of promise for us. And it was, it was, it was huge, uh, you know. And I remember when, uh, when Mia was born that my wife Carrie said, listen, um, the doctor's going to be with me for a little bit, but you stay with Mia and just stay, stay with her until, you know, we can, you know, we're all, we're all kind of back together in, in the room that they put us. And I said, okay. So the doctors took Carrie away and we're working on her a little bit and, um, and so we went then to the kind of that newborn area, um, and I was there with Mia, and um, and I was already hysterical because our daughter was born, and then you know she grabbed my finger, and I was that was like I was that was it for me, you know I was you know we'd been waiting ten years to have this child, and now this little baby's holding my finger, and um, there was a guy next to me who had just had a baby as well. They had just had a little girl also. And, um, and he was, you know, very, you know, he wasn't like hysterical like I was. But this was his third child. And, um, and so, you know, I congratulated him. He congratulated me. And he says, you know, um, and so he just starts talking to me about being a dad. Um, and this guy was maybe three, four years older than me at the time. And he says, um, he says you know, being a dad is one of the most significant things you're ever going to do in your life. And uh, it's going to change everything. Change how you see life and how you see anything. You know, this it is—it's so huge. It's one of the most significant things that can happen to a person um, is, is becoming a dad. And I'm soaking in this guy's wisdom. And um, then the guy—that guy's mom comes in and she hugs him and congratulates him. And he says to her, "Oh, I'm so glad that you're here um, because I'm going to go down the street and get a meatball sub and then come back." And I'm like, and I'm, now I'm like, I'm like, I'm like what? Uh, you know, and I'm pretty sure I said it out loud. And uh, and I'm like, you're telling me this is the most significant thing. Your daughter's just been born, and you're gonna like trade that for a meatball sub, right? So it's like, you know, because most people don't, we don't think about it in terms like that. Like, I could hang out with my daughter who's just been born, but instead I'm gonna go down the street and hang out with Jared at Subway, and then come back, and then we'll get to, you know. And, and it's this, this weird thing that happens. But listen, we make this decision all the time to trade something of greater value for something of lesser value. And it's not because we're bad people. It's not because we don't care. It's simply because we've forgotten this principle that Nehemiah says, that I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Esau in the Old Testament found the same thing. Um, Jacob and Esau were brothers, and because Esau was older, he was given this tremendous responsibility. This responsibility of being the firstborn, which meant he got the blessing, he got the birthright, he got the inheritance. And what that meant was he was going to be the spiritual leader of his family. He was going to be the spiritual leader of his family. He was going to inherit everything for his family. And he was going to be the one that kind of marched them into the future. But listen to what happens and what he trades all that for. And he says, now, Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me some of that stew, for I'm weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What is that birthright to me? And then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave gave Esau bread and a stew of lentils. And so he ate and drank, arose and went his way, and thus Esau despised his birthright. Listen, what happens in the moment like that? Where you take something so significant, a privilege that, that doesn't happen to anybody else. It's literally a once in a generation thing that happens for a family to pass on the birthright, the blessing, the inheritance to one person. 
and he trades it for a bowl of beans? I mean, right? Because I don't think anybody actually says, you know, I've got this incredible, you know, privilege and responsibility, and I think I'm going to trade it for a bowl of garbanzo beans, right? Nobody actually says that, but he actually does. And he's like, why? Because at the time, at the time, a bowl of beans seems more valuable than inheriting the blessing of God. And what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Listen, if you're here and you're married, getting distracted means maybe neglecting the investment into your marriage, into your family. Because, guys, can I tell you this? And this, this is so true for us as guys. Um, guys are naturally competitive. You know, if, you're, um, if you have young kids, you know, three, four, five years old, and they get involved in team sports, like in a league or whatever, you know how um, the kids, like when they're that young, they don't actually keep score, right? Moms don't care about that. It drives dads absolutely crazy. And you know what? It's true. They do. Oh, I got four people. There. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, I like that. One point for Bob. Good. Uh, and now, now here's what here's what happens. Is that guy that drives dads crazy because because you know moms are like it's good. They'll be able to you know they'll involve it. It'll be teamwork and sharing, and they'll get you know kind of expend some expend some energy and all that's good. And dads are like, I don't care. It's not really a sport unless we're keeping score. And, uh, and they think, no, but they just need, it's good just to have fun. You know what else is good? Winning. Right? That's what, that's what dads, that's, that's how dads think. Right? Because we're just so wired to keep score. And so even though you're not, like, the league isn't keeping score, let me tell you something, mom, your husband's keeping score. And so, you know, so when you hug your son, hey, you did so good in that soccer game, that's wonderful, let's all go celebrate. And then your dad will take them aside, hey, you won by two, nice job. You know, right? I know we're not, you know, that, that, that's just the way that, it, that's, that's the way that it works. It's the way that we're wired. And because of that, guys, here's what we tend to do. We tend to gravitate towards environments that keep score. That's why guys will completely throw themselves into their work, right? All of us have that tendency to just throw ourselves into, that, into our work. You know why? Because our work environment is a place where we understand how the scoring system works. We understand how the pay scale works. We understand how the promotion system works. We understand how the accolades work. We understand how the bonus system works, you see. And the challenge is, is that it's very easy for us to move in there and just kind of put all of our effort there and then begin to neglect the thing that we're actually called to, the vision that God has given to us. Because if you're a husband, God has called you to be a pastor and a priest in your home. The challenge there is that there's no awards for being a great dad. There are rewards, but there's no award that's given. There's no promotion. You don't get, you know, you were dad, but now you've been promoted to chief parental officer. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, you get like a corner office. You know, you don't, you don't get that. But it's easy to get lost in the work because that's where the score is being kept. And yet, and then, but, but listen, here's what we have to just push back on that is to just remind ourselves, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Well, we want, yeah, I understand that, but I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. And anything that would take me away from that which is most important or not allow me to fulfill the duty of that which is most important to me is a distraction. And I cannot distract from the great work that God has given me to do. Listen, if you're here and you're single, can I tell you something? Um, the, the number one thing that derails Christians that are single is getting into a dating relationship with someone who's not a Christian. And I'm telling you, and I know that it's, I know it's different with you, and I know that he's nice or she's great, 
And it's totally different. And he's close to coming to God because he hurt himself and called on Jesus and all that, you know. And, 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 but listen, let me just tell you, because if you can't be discouraged, what Satan will do is try to distract you with a relationship that's not going to take you where it is that you ultimately want to go. And listen, what I want to tell you is this. It is a distraction that it is a trick and a trap. And just don't take the bait. You know why? Because when you decided, when you became a Christian, and you said, I want to put my relationship with God above all others for this season so I can grow to a place of maturity. That was a great work. That was a great work that you committed yourself to. It is a great vision that God has given you. And listen, don't just don't accept something less than what God has for you because you're doing a great work and you should not, you cannot come down from that. Well, look at what happens. Nehemiah won't take the bait to be distracted because he remembers the importance of what he's doing. But look what happens in verse 10. It says, Afterwards I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they are coming to kill you. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who... Is, who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that, they should, that I should be afraid and act that way in sin, so that I might, they might have a cause for an evil report and that they might reproach me. My God, remember to Balat and Sanbiah according to these, their works, and the, prophet, the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to tell you about keeping your vision in focus. Number one is that you remember the importance of the work. Number two is that you be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Why? Because not everybody is trying to lead you to the place where you ultimately want to go. Uh, many of you remember... Um, that we used to meet in a movie theater as a church several years ago. Uh, we used to meet in a movie theater. And one Sunday, I remember that I was teaching, and this woman comes in, and it was probably about, you know, maybe halfway through my message. Um, so the service was, you know, probably going on for like 45 minutes at that point. And so this woman comes in, and she's dressed well, and she walks up, she talks to someone, and then there's like a shuffling of papers, and, um, and then she goes and she sits down, and she sits down towards the front. And, uh, and so she sits there for about 10 minutes. And then she kind of gets this confused look on her face after about, after about 10 minutes. And she stands up in the middle of the service and she says, this isn't Harry Potter, and walks out. Now, I don't really know what you do with that. Um, and, and now here's what happened because I, I, I talked to, the, there was a person that she had talked to and I talked to the guy and I'm like, what did she say to you? And she said, well, she said something about me about Harry Potter. And I said, yeah, I like Harry Potter, I don't know, something to that effect. And then she sat down and thinking that this was Harry Potter. Now, now, the one thing I'm trying to figure out, like, at what, how long did it actually take her to figure out that I wasn't a wizard? You know, and I'm like, I don't think you have a wand at all. And then, you know, and then walked out. Now, listen, the, the, the point is, is we've got to be careful who we listen to, because just because someone gives you advice on what you should do, doesn't mean they're actually advising you well. And listen, the, the challenge for us many times is sometimes we can go to people that we think are respectable and they can give us terrible counsel. Nehemiah gets counsel from a prophet that's been around for a while, 
A prophet that's respected. And he gives him report that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, you know, the Arabs, you know, Molary and Curly are all after him and they're going to kill him. And he says, listen, this is my prophecy. You better go into the temple and shut the door and hide. And Nehemiah is like, are you sure? And you would, now, this is so significant and so easily overlooked. But Nehemiah decides not to listen to this prophet and he realizes this guy is not from God. And, and the question is why? Because the prophet is asking him to sin. The prophet is telling Nehemiah, go into the temple and shut the door. Um, but listen, the Bible says something very different about that. I put it in your notes in Second Chronicles 23. It says, but let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priests and those of the Levites who serve. So listen, you're at, the prophet is asking Nehemiah to do something that's totally contrary to what God's Word says. And if, any, if somebody is counseling you to do something contrary to what God says, it's not good counsel. And listen, instead, you want to look for two qualities in people if you're going to heed the counsel that, 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 they're, that they're giving. Here's number one. I put it in your notes. Number one is this, that they love God. That's what you want. You want someone who loves God to counsel you. That this person has to know God's word and be living for God in their own lives because if they're going to, if the counsel that they're going to give you is going to have an effect in your life and a big decision they're going, that, that you're going to make, you want them to be influenced by the Holy Spirit as they're giving you the counsel. The second thing is this, not only that they love God, but number two, that they love you. And that is that they're looking out for your best interest. They don't have a stake in what happens that they're going to personally profit from whatever decision that you make. Instead, they want God's best for your life because they want you to fulfill the vision that God has for you. This priest, as it turns out, was on the take and was being paid by Molary and Curly and their goal was to see Nehemiah sin by walking into the temple so that they might discredit him. And Nehemiah recognizes it, but he says, why are you asking me to do something that's contrary to the Word of God? Because good counsel does many things. But one of the things that good counsel does is that it clarifies what God wants you to do. That is the mark of good and godly counsel. Where you're at the crossroads, and you're like, I'm not really sure what I should do right here. And then someone comes in who, who, who loves God and who loves you and says, listen, you know, the Bible says this. And this is what I've seen in your life. And now the cloud begins to lift. You say, oh, I get it. It's very, very clear as to what I should do now. And this guy was trying to blur what God had clearly called Nehemiah to. And Nehemiah's response is that he's not going to be intimidated to stop. Look at what happens. This is the kind of the climax of the story in verse 15. He says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul. In 52 days, and it happened when all our enemies heard it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, uh, the son of Johanan and married the daughter of Meshulam, uh, the son of Berechiah. By the way, if you're ever reading the Old Testament, the key to reading the Old Testament well is read fast. And everybody's like, wow, that's really how it's supposed to be said. Uh, and those are all just educated guesses on my part. Um, verse 19. But here's what he says. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. It says, then it was 
when the wall was built and I had hung its doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let, uh, let them uh, shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. And now the city was large and spacious, but, few, but people, the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, um, here's, here's the, the last one in your notes, the third thing. Keeping your vision and focus, and that is celebrate your accomplishments. Celebrate your accomplishments along the way. A couple of weeks ago, I was at the office on a Saturday, and I needed to go in for a little while, so I took my daughter with me, who's going to be five soon, and um, so I took care of a few things, and then when we got done, we got, we got back into the, the van that we had just gotten about a week before, and uh, I called Carrie to see if she wanted me to pick up something for lunch. She did, and she wanted me to go to this place off of uh, Pines Boulevard. So I, I plugged into, uh, we had just gotten it, and it has like a GPS system, so I plugged in the, the address and the GPS system, and... Um, and so then we, we left. And um, my daughter was met with me. And by the way, if you, um, have, if you don't know, uh, one thing about little girls um, is that they never stop talking. And if you know that, little girls never stop talking. My daughter even talks in her sleep sometimes because she never stops talking. Well, my daughter went into about a 20-minute um, you know, monologue about how she's allergic to glitter. This whole thing about what glitter does to her on her skin and in her ears and on this whole thing about glitter. And I'm like, okay. And I figured like that was, that was kind of the end of it. Wow, Mia, that's very interesting. Well, you know, there's another thing. There's all, all different types of glitter. And then she goes into all the different types of glitter that there are. And, um, and so I get caught up in the conversation. And then I, this GPS thing. Now, I have one of those, uh, other, you know, one of those GPS that you kind of stick on the, on the windshield. I have one of those in my car and Carrie's car. It's, kind of, it's built in. And um, and this this GPS is very chatty, uh, a little chattier than the normal GPS. Like every 200 feet, it's telling me what I need to do. And so then, so I, I get I'm on I-75. I've got Mia in the back talking to me about glitter. I've got the GPS in the front telling me about what I need to do at the next 200 feet and whatever. And I I don't even know. And I'm not even joking about this or even exaggerating a little bit. I start. I get so confused because I'm listening to these two women talk to me, the woman GPS and my daughter, so that then's like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. I end up in Weston. I end up in Weston, and I'm looking, and I'm like, how did I get here? And I saw a sign that said 595 was two miles away. And I'm like, how did I get here? I have no idea how I got here. And, uh, and uh, you know... And so I finally, now I knew that it was weird because it kept saying, make a U-turn. And I'm like, how do you make a U-turn on a highway? And so I, so I kind of, I then get off and I, I, I still couldn't even figure out how to turn that thing off. I just had to turn it down because I couldn't figure out how to turn the thing off. And I, it could still be talking. I really don't know. I just turned the volume down. And uh, now here's the thing that, that tends to happen with, with most of us. We set a goal as to where we want to go. And if, even if we kind of get off the course a little bit, We'll just say, ah, forget it, it's not worth it. Instead of making the course correction and celebrating the progress that we've made. And, and it's the, the weirdest thing that happens is that sometimes, even though we aren't ultimately where we want to be and we haven't hit the goal yet, we have this thing in us that sometimes we won't celebrate the progress that we've made. 
Like maybe some of you, have, you're here and it's a, you, you got into one of our Crown Financial small groups and, and, and God gave you a, an incredible vision for something as you were going through that, that small group and that is that you want to be totally debt free. That is an amazing goal, an amazing vision that God could give a person. And you say, man, there was five credit cards that we need to pay off and you paid one of them off and you're like, ah, oh, but I still have such a long way to go. Listen, celebrate that that one is paid off. Just don't buy anything, but celebrate that, right? You know, like let's, let's, let's go do something that's free and, and, and enjoy the fact that we, we finally paid one off. And, or maybe you're, you're in a place where, you know, you say, man, I, I really want to get serious about my relationship with God. And you say, I'm going to start reading the Bible every day. And then, you know, every day becomes like twice that, that week. And, um, and what, here's what happens a lot of times. Like, oh, man, I only read my Bible twice. I'm not going to finish the reading plan. Oh, forget it. And, and we can't, um, and we don't celebrate the progress that we've made. Can I, can I just say something? Like, like, if that's where you're at, listen, many of us here, a year ago, you didn't even own a Bible. Right? And now you're like interested in reading it. That's, that's huge progress. Celebrate that. Is it where you want to be ultimately? No, but celebrate the fact that you've made some progress. Listen, Nehemiah finishes the wall. And it's reason to celebrate and rejoice. Is the work done? No. You, we just read that there's very few people living in the city. Why were there few people living in Jerusalem? No walls. No protection from the outside or from invaders. So everybody's moved somewhere else. Now that the walls are built, he's got to do the work of, help, of you know, encouraging people to move back into the city. And to trust God that God's going to protect them now that the walls are, are rebuilt. But listen, here's the, thing that I, here's the thing that I love about Nehemiah. The thing that I love about Nehemiah is that he is a guy just like us. He's just a regular guy. I think sometimes we have a hard time um, relating to some of the characters in the Old Testament. You know, like you read the story of Moses, and I think that we can be encouraged by it. But I think we would also agree that sometimes there's like, well, I don't know if I totally relate, right? He tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. The staff goes into the Nile. Nile turns into blood. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. It hasn't worked out. Well, I went into my boss and I told him what needs to change. And he said no. So I took my pencil and I put it in his coffee and nothing happened. You know, right? And, and you, I tried and that didn't, no, but, you know, but so, you know, I, I went in and he didn't do what I told him and then all these gnats showed up and it was awesome. A frog came out of his desk. No, that, that, that didn't happen. Instead, you know, you know what? What I love about Nehemiah, he's just a regular guy who did something amazing and seemingly miraculous, but you know what happened? It happened in very natural ways. And he was just a guy who was just trying to faithfully serve the Lord. And you know what I love is that when the wall gets built... The enemies of God look on and say, that was a work that was done by God. Isn't that amazing? Is that it doesn't actually have to be supernatural, people rising from the dead and whatever, for people to realize, even those who are the enemies of God, to say, this is something that was done by the Lord. And listen, this is so important because many times, here's what we think. We think, God can't do a big vision like that with me because I'm not a preacher, I'm not a miracle worker, I'm just a regular person. If that's the case, then Nehemiah is, 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 is the poster child for regular people just like us. Because even though he was a regular person, he lived a life that was unexplainable. That he did the supernatural in seemingly natural ways. And that he was trying to be a light by doing what God had just called him to do. Because when God called Israel to be a nation, the call that they had was simply to be a light. 
And if they would simply walk with God, that those who are of other nations would be attracted to the God of Israel. This is God's call to Israel in Isaiah 49. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And when things got tough and he still did what God wanted, that's when his life, his light was really seen and no one could deny it. You see, the same call that Nehemiah has, the same call that you and I have. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew chapter 5, that you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to bring you back to something that Nehemiah said that I think we may have overlooked, and I want to come back to it. But when Nehemiah is told to run away from this vision, this call that God has given to him, he turns to those who tell him that he should run away because people are going to harm him. Here's what he says. He said, should such a man as I flee? Should a man such as I run away? And this isn't him being arrogant like, should a man such as, as important as me run away? No, here's what, he's, here's what he meant. He meant it as a matter of fact. He's saying this, that God has called him, invested in him, given him tremendous influence, tremendous leadership, tremendous responsibility. And so he looks on that all that God has done in his life to see this vision become a reality. And he says, how could a man to whom God has entrusted all of this flee? And my friends, can I tell you the same thing? That if you're a Christian, that there are certain things that are true about you, that you would have to say that how could such a man as me flee? Such a person as you flee? That listen, according to the Bible, that you're a child of God? That you have the Holy Spirit living and residing within you? That the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you? The Bible says in Ephesians 1 that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. The Bible says that you are the heir of God and co-heirs with Christ. The Bible says that you and I are going to rule and reign with Christ when He returns. And so in light of that, in light of everything that God has done and is going to do in your life, how can a person such as you or I flee? Dad, can I tell you something? You're the only person who can be a dad to those kids. There's no one else, and other people can try and try to fill the gap, but you're the only one that can be a dad to those kids. And so how can a man such as you flee? So when you have the opportunity, when you have the opportunity to say, well, see, I can take that other job, and I know it's nights, and my kids are awake during the day, and asleep at night, and then I'll be asleep during the day, and awake at night, and I can do this, and, and, I, and then, but I know I'll be making more money, and what I'll do is, then I'll just buy them more stuff, and then we can have nicer vacations, and that'll be how I make it up to them. My friends, that's not the way it works. When you realize that God has given you a vision, and anything other than that is a distraction, here's what you say. You say, my friend, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Because how can a man such as I flee from the responsibility that God has given to me? You see... It doesn't work that way. Moms, the same thing is true for you. It's the same thing is true for whatever it is, the vision that God has given to us. Listen, many times I see people begin to walk with God and then they, they fall away because they get distracted or something else gets in the way of them, of, of them fulfilling the vision and, and of, that God has for them and the life that God has for them. And it's like, listen, how can a person such as you flee? You can't. 
Because God has too much in store for your life to allow anything to get in the way of that. And if we could just take a step back for a moment and see everything that God has for us, here's what we'd say. You would say, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Because God has invested and entrusted so much to me and so much to you and so much to us that to actually do something else other than what God has called us to do is simply insanity. And you know what keeps us from fully pursuing God? I mean, listen, this, this, is, this is the moment, right? This is the decision time. This is the thing where we kind of maybe have some self-evaluation and we really think about what it is that, that God is speaking to us this morning. And we say, you know, what is it that's keeping us from fully pursuing God? Is it a relationship? Is it a lack of discipline? Is it a sin that we won't deal with? Is it a priority that's somehow out of place? Listen, this is the moment where we have to look at whatever it is and have to declare to it and say, listen, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. That's the other thing. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Oh, but there's this relationship. I'm sorry. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down because how can a person such as I flee? Our Savior, when He was on a cross, bleeding to death, you know what the enemies of Jesus said to him, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you come down from the cross? Isn't that interesting? Why don't you come down? And you know what he said? I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Instead, he stayed. He died because he was doing a great work. And how can a man, a Savior such as him, flee? You see, that work that brought salvation to you and to me was brought because our Savior was doing a great work and He could not come down. And my friends, we're here today. And the reason that we're here today and the reason that you're not out doing something else is because God wants to get you, slow you down enough to get your attention to tell you that you are doing a great work And don't let anything distract you from the great work that you've been doing. That God has invested so much into you. That the future that you have is so incredibly great if we could possibly just stay on the track. And all these other things that are trying to distract us are not from Him. And some of them are not even evil things or bad things. They're just other things. And yet here's what I would encourage you to say. And memorize this line so that you never forget it and you always repeat it so that it keeps you focused on what God has for you. And you just say, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. And listen, whatever it is that tries to distract you, whatever it is that that someone tries to add on to you to give you another idea other than the vision that God has given to you, you remember the words of Nehemiah who fulfilled the vision that God had for him. Not because he was doing the supernatural. Not because he was extra special. But because he was just a regular guy doing normal things faithfully. But he simply had focus on his vision. And whatever it is that came into his life, he simply said, I'm sorry, I can't do that because I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for your goodness, for your love, and we, we pray that you would empower us by your Spirit to do what you've called us to do. That God, all these other distractions, 
would pale in comparison to the vision that you have for us. And Lord, our, my prayer for all of us is that it would be just ingrained in our minds and in our heart and our spirit to be reminded that we are doing a great work and we cannot come down. God, help us to remember the great work you've called us to do and not trade the incredible privilege that we have for seemingly a bowl of beans. In Jesus' name, amen.